morning, Scott. Hey, Dan. How are you? Conflict-free at the moment, I, I feel like, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so you haven't checked Facebook or watched the news? That's true. I've fasted so far today. Well, and you know, I interviewed Jay Van Bavel, who is an NYU professor, who's looked at the incidence of depression and correlated it with our use of social media and watching the news. And so you're probably taking steps towards your mental health. Many years ago, I don't know if it was like a meditation class or mindfulness, but news fasts were recommended a day or two or a weekend, that kind of thing. It was back in the day, probably before a lot of social media had, had taken hold. And you know, Dan, when I talk with you or I talk with colleagues and friends, I hear much of the same experience and concern. There's so much conflict in our culture. If you turn on the news, even the weather is contentious nowadays. And people are stressed out by that. I have a call with Arden Henley, who is a professor out of British Columbia, coming up next week. And he's talking about the impact of the climate crisis on the mental health of young people. And it's pretty significant. And I, I think that kind of maybe is a good segue to, to introduce the books that we were going to talk about today and the, the concept of, of conflict entrepreneurs and how the media sort of adds gasoline to the fire of conflict and the divisions in our society, which of and, course affects the mental health of all of us. Yes. And both of these books that we've chosen this particular time say that's not a given. In fact, humans are designed to cooperate just as much as they are to engage in conflict. Something that I didn't know that's covered in the book you chose for today is that warfare is a relatively recent phenomenon in human evolution. I think it's only been around for, what did they say, 10,000 years, actually. I believe that was from this particular book. I never thought of it that way, which is by Monica Guzman. And she is a journalist and reporter out of Washington State, I believe. And here we have High Conflict by Amanda Ripley, who is also a journalist. I think she writes for The Atlantic. She's written several investigative journalistic books, and this is her most recent one. I was really attracted to this particular work because of some of my own experiences over the course of the pandemic interacting with people on social media. And I'm not claiming to be an expert in that by any stretch of the imagination. But as you know, Dan, my calling card with regard to our particular field of mental health has always been about bringing research and science to the forefront. Here's what the data say, because doing so, I believed, was a way to help us overcome our apparent differences in the field, differences in terms of models and techniques and disciplines, et cetera. And I found that very challenging. Early on in the pandemic, when I asked about the science around masking, for example, I got a significant amount of pushback and I felt othered quite often. At several points, I was called an, a COVID denier 
when when in fact you you know me i i was wearing two masks by april 2020 and my entire career of being on the road i ended that i stayed home for nearly two years so it stung in particular and i wondered what would it take for us to have people engage in conversations more organized around curiosity, around understanding another person's perspective. And Guzman's book really speaks to that. Yes. Yeah, so, so I don't know if it's a good time, but like a one minute kind of summary of what she has to say in that book. For me, Guzman's premise is instead of bringing our assumptions about other people to conversations, why not try being curious about them? Asking more questions of why, trying to understand the values that are inherent in a person's political or personal beliefs and situations. And through a series of chapters and stories, she tries to illustrate how we might be able to have more, as she calls them, I think, fearlessly and courageously Thanks. curious conversations. Yeah, and it does get into the science that's more um, described in this book about how, how it came to be the way it is, where we are divided into camps and we're very mistrustful of the people on the other side, and we make assumptions about what drives them. One of the points that I think I heard in both books is a, a very curious concept that the within group differences are often greater than the between group differences. Yeah. And, you know, that, that, that idea sort of blew me away because we do make assumptions about people. I just, I just find myself all the time locking in on the idea that I couldn't possibly accept somebody from that group because they, I'm certain that they believe this. Yeah. Yeah. And I have to say, I really believe this. I believe we can have more courageously curious conversations. But at the same time, when I finished this book, I felt like it was more hope than reality, that I didn't have some of what I needed in order to facilitate the kind of conversations that I deeply believe we should be happening. And in fact, I found myself several times thinking, yeah, that's okay for people in my group but the other group will never do that with me they're going they're going to troll me and i certainly had those experiences in some of my interactions on social media during the pandemic so i i don't know if this is the the right way to think about this but i i think she would have something to say about that and that is the, the idea that there is good conflict which is something that we all need in order to have a country, in order to have a government, in order to have policy, there has to be conflict. You can't agree on everything. Mm. And at the same time, 
conditions that inflame conflict to a level where the conflict itself starts sustaining. And once you get into that, there's really no hope of resolution. And so some of those conditions are certainly one of them is humiliation. So you, you talked about uh, trolling and people that might call you a COVID denier. I mean, that have that label was humiliating. Yeah. And if you react to the humiliation in a way that, you know, where you try to humiliate back on the other side, mm. that's the kind of thing that es escalates into high conflict. Mm. She talks about the, the conditions that lead to areas where conversation can be productive and conflict, in essence, where good conflict can happen is there's five sort of areas that, that are important. Do you have enough time? Hmm. Do you have the full attention of the person that you're in conflict with? Is there parity? I listened to her on a podcast. She actually went on Glenn Beck's podcast. Hmm. And I think, I forgot which book it's mentioned in, but, but Glenn Beck fairly famously, he, he stopped being a conflict entrepreneur at some point. And he brought her on the podcast and he was, he, he would try to have dialogues with the people on the left. But they wouldn't take the bait. They refused. And she calls this containment, where the people that listen to Glenn Beck are probably mostly on the right. And so somebody from the left who's on, on Glenn Beck, there's not an ability to be completely open and honest about how you feel because of the way it's set up. Yeah. And I think yeah. he, I think he kind of got it. I think he kind of said, hmm. I never thought of it that way. <laughs> so as I said, I, I, there were lots of useful ideas here. When I left, when I finished the book, however, I didn't feel like I could actually have these conversations. Then I ended up reading this book, which you suggested, High Conflict, and great deal, by the way, on Amazon for the hardcover version, if that if that matters to you. Of course, because you know there are hardcover book readers and softcover book readers, and the hardcover book readers are better than the softcover book readers. And I have to say, at the end of reading the two together, I preferred Ripley's book. And I have to agree with you and perhaps disagree with you later. I read them in the same order that you did. I read uh, Guzman's book first and then High Conflict second. And then in preparation for this presentation, I went back and read the first hundred pages anyway of Guzman's book. It felt a little manic to me. Guzman. It, yes. Whereas uh, Ripley's book is, I don't want to call it slow, but it elaborates the stories of four or five different people who ended up in high conflict, most of whom got out of it. Guzman's book is, there are sections where you're, these are the five things that you should consider. And these are the eight things that you should do. And I just, I guess, felt like it was just rapid fire recommendations and, and things to do. And I guess in the end, I, I do feel similarly to you that it, it 
I didn't feel like I could tackle anything. The one thing I did do was I looked up the Braver Angels local chapter here. Hmm. And I actually listened to a Braver Angels podcast and I felt myself getting into high conflict listening to the Braver Angels podcast because it was a give and take between, it was actually quite honestly, it was left and right political stuff. And it just, there wasn't the level of give and take that she talks about in this book that I was hoping to hear. It was more of the idea. I mean, I think sometimes people read this and they think, well, okay, so I'd like to get into a conversation with somebody on the other side and have them converted to my side. Hmm. Yes, and exactly. That's not, what, that's not what this is about. No, and I, I think that's a real dilemma. So perhaps the solution here is to change the order of the reading of these books, actually. What Ripley does that I think is really essential and is, in my opinion, missing from Guzman's book is provide a why and an explanation. She diagnoses our pathology in a very careful fashion and in a way that I didn't feel othered. I, I could see myself in it. I could see my beliefs in it. It's not blaming us for who we are it's explaining to us who we are and if you read this first suddenly you're hooked you can see your shortcomings then this could serve as a manual in a way for the steps to take but as i think we're both pointing out it's only the beginning because there's a great deal of work that has to fall outside this volume. Great deal of reflection, of practice, of finding a community to do this within that needs to take place in order for that dream to become realized. I'm thinking of an analogy. And the analogy is to feedback informed treatment. Okay. And I don't know what your experience is with the workshops that you facilitate. I don't know how many people who come to the workshops end up getting excited about fit and doing their darndest to integrate that into their practice and implement it in their agencies. But I think in order for fit to be accepted, people to get excited about it, you have to get the sense that there's something missing in your practice at the moment. Interesting. And I think the same thing is with conflict be between groups. I think you have to somehow have the inkling that I'm in this conflict just to spite the other side. I like being in my little camp so much, and I like fighting the good fight against that camp, that it, if you don't have the sense that that's like going nowhere, you're probably not going to be that interested. Yeah, two issues. To tie it to your analogy about feedback-informed treatment, I think everybody, number one, has a good time at a feedback-informed treatment workshop. A smaller number, of course, decide, yeah, I think I'll download those measures and use them. Many people don't, however, and when I ask why or we've explored, this isn't scientific, it's just an impression, they will say, well, I already asked for feedback. 
one time I had somebody say they, they didn't need to use the forms because they had unconditional empathic reception. And I thought, wow, that's, that's amazing. You're fully attuned with people. So if you don't feel like something's missing, even the possibility of a better connection with people on the other side of issues, then you're not likely to do much of what Guzman recommends. And it's very easy to stay in the conflict. And one thing that Ripley points out, which I think is really rather interesting, is how the original founding figures of the United States were quite concerned about that polarization. Oh, yeah. What a great story that was. And that they didn't like the idea of opposing political parties, right. when in fact, Nowadays, it's customary to think, well, that's just how our system is. That's the way it's supposed to be. Yeah, and they, despite their misgivings about it, they, this was, was Madison and Jefferson, they got into high conflict. They did. And ended, no, Adam. I'm sorry, not Madison. Yeah, John like Adams. John Adams. And, John and Adams. ended up polarized for really the remainder of, of their lives. And that those kinds of stories are also told in more modern context by Ripley on subjects that are so divisive in, in our social lives at the present time, whether that's abortion, racial issues, income inequality, all of those things that seem to impossible to bridge. What I found hopeful about Ripley's book is that we are just as inclined, if not more, to collaborate and cooperate with each other. In fact, it's why our species perhaps survived over these many millennia, as we are to compete. But if we don't recognize the addictive nature of the conflict, that it gives you a short-term high, that it makes you feel morally superior to others. In fact, that's probably a sign that you're in high conflict, that you initially say, I'm better than them. I'm better than those Trumpers. I'm better than those other people. Chances are you're siloed. And then, as we're saying, maybe Guzman gives us some initial ideas about how to move from beyond that. I, I do think one of the things that she did in this book that's not something that Ripley was uh, focused on was the, her, her tips on how to have these conversations, I think are really good. And with a goal in both books, not to persuade, as you were saying earlier, that's not the objective, not trying to get them to come to my other side, but rather to understand. And that once there is a base of understanding, there is much more likely to be cooperation where the maximum amount of needs from everyone involved can be met. So Scott, do you recommend that people read these books? In, in a different order, I do. I, I would say for me, who's interested in science, and I need to understand why. I need to have a plausible diagnostic framework. Mm -hmm. Read this first, and then Guzman second. If you don't, then to me, this book begins to sound a little bit like moral pleading. Please do this. It's for our good. And in a way, I feel othered by it. How about you, Dan? 
Absolutely. I agree with you wholeheartedly. I do think it's probably better to read this book first to get some stories and some maybe theoretical background. If So on the front cover, it says here, honest, funny, surprising, and actionable. Take it to the beach, hand it out at family reunions. There's no time to waste. Amanda Ripley, author of High Conflict. So at least Amanda Ripley is a plug-in for Monica Guzman's book. All right, Dan. Looking forward to the next two volumes. Yeah. Can't wait. <laughs> if I search, will 